Good morning, everybody. My name's Helen, and I'm bringing you the Bible reading. It's the last of our series on Samuel, and today we're reading from 2 Samuel chapter 24, which if you have one of the Red Church Bibles, it's page 285, bottom right. And for anybody who's looking at their phone, just a reminder, it's the CSB version that we're reading. So it's 2 Samuel chapter 24. The Lord's anger burned against Israel again, and he stirred up David against them to say, Go count the people of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of his army, Go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the troops so I can know their number. Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times more than they are, while my lord the king looks on. But why does my lord the king want to do this? Yet the king's order prevailed over Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army left the king's presence to register the troops of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and camped in Aroah, south of the town in the middle of the valley, and then proceeded towards Gad and Jazer. They went to Gilead and to the land of the Hittites and continued on to Danjan and around to Sidon. They went to the fortress of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and Canaanites. Afterward, they went to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. When they had gone through the whole land, they returned to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab gave the king the total of the registration of the troops. There were 800,000 valiant armed men from Israel and 500,000 men from Judah. David's conscience troubled him after he had taken a census of the troops. He said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. When David got up in the morning, the word of the Lord had come to the prophet Gad, David's seer. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I am offering you three choices. Choose one of them and I will do it to you. So Gad went to David, told him the choices and asked him, Do you want three years of famine to come on your land? to flee from your foes for three months while they pursue you, or to have a plague in your land three days. Now consider carefully what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. David answered Gad, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the appointed time, and from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men died. Then the angel extended his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, but the Lord relented concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand now. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel striking the people, he said to the Lord, Look, I am the one who has sinned. I am the one and who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? 
Please let your hand be against me and my father's family. Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up and set an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. David went up in obedience to Gad's command, just as the Lord had commanded. Arona looked down and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So he went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. Arona said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David replied, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so the plague on the people may be halted. Arona said to David, My lord the king may take whatever he wants and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering, and the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arona gives everything here to the king. Then he said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. The king answered Arona, No, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for twenty ounces of silver. He built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord was receptive to prayer for the land and the plague on Israel ended. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. My name is Chris. Um, I'm on the ministry staff, and I have the privilege of opening up 2 Samuel 24. But how about I pray for us to get started? Uh, Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. And so we pray that you would uh, give us your spirit so we may understand your word, not so that we may be smarter sinners, but so that we may live under the reign of your Son, King Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In 2013, um, I started Bible college. And as a struggling, uh, as my wife and I, as struggling Bible students, we needed to find a cheap and effective way to have date nights. So before streaming services, before Netflix, there was the boxed DVD set. Remember those things? You've still got a couple underneath your bed. Uh, one of our friends gave us a JB Hi-Fi voucher, and so we bought the entire collection of James Bond films. Uh, so we set ourselves a goal in first year of college to watch one James Bond movie each fortnight for an entire year. Now, some of you are celebrating this idea. Your eyes are like dishpans right now. Other you, others are cringing and fearing for my wife and what I put her through. But we did it. For uh, once a fortnight, for a whole year, we watched every James Bond film. And there are some brilliant James Bond ones, like Peak James Bond, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, where they pretend to be in space, GoldenEye, Casino Royale, fantastic. And then there are awful ones, like Diamonds Are Forever, where you can really tell that Sean Connery is just there to get a paycheck. Um, in fact, most of the Sean Connery Bonds have not aged well. We'll leave that. But the beauty of each movie is that as they end, they would bring the whole thing back into the focus. So maybe it's defusing a bomb or saving the world um, or uh, 
but they would bring the whole thing back into focus, something to stick with, something to leave you with, something that you can hold on to. You see, the end of the movie should leave you satisfied, so you want to come back again and again. And today, we're in the last chapter of 2 Samuel. The books of Samuel demonstrate demonstrate a key movement in God's salvation plan. So God transitions his people from leadership under judges to leadership under a king. And so as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, David's kingdom becomes a prototype kingdom. As we read about this kingdom, it teaches us what God's kingdom is like and what it means for us to live in God's kingdom today. And chapter 24 This is it. My hope is that this last chapter, like these James Bond films, might leave you satisfied in such a way that you will want to come back to the books of Samuel again and again and again because it brings something back into focus. We see it in verse 24. Have a look at verse 24. Sorry, verse 14. David says, please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great. It is the mercy of God that 2 Samuel 24 leaves us with. And so big idea this morning, only God can fully and finally deal with sin and the wrath of God. And he does so through his mercy. So first point, the reality of God's wrath. I'm teaching Year 6 SRE at Calaire Public School. It's really great. You should try it. Come along to one of my classes. And at the start of the year, I asked the students, what's the greatest problem that humanity faces? Some said war. Some said pollution. Most of them said climate change. Others said a lack of screen time. Um, And these kids are only repeating what they have heard or been taught from our world. But what is humanity's greatest need? Well, have a look at verse 1. The Lord's anger burned against Israel again, and he stirred up David against them to say, Go count the people of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and register the troops so I can know their number. What's the saddest words in these verses? It's again, isn't it? The Lord's anger burned against Israel again. And this is the story of God's people throughout the Old Testament. As God's people continue to reject their king and fall into sin, they face his wrath, his his judgment. It's strong language. In fact, this language of Anger being kindled only appears a few times in in Samuel. We see it with King Saul in 1 Samuel. We see it in chapter 6 when Uzzah um, touches the ark of God. We even see it in the book of Exodus when God's people uh, make the golden calf. You see, the reality that starts this chapter is the anger or the wrath of God. And while we know this is serious, we don't know what they have done. It's like the narrator is saying, we're, gonna, we're not going to deal with the process of forgiveness like we did in chapter 12 with David and Bathsheba. We're actually just going to think about God's anger and consider God's wrath. And in fact, we end up knowing more than the characters in the story. 
The narrator peels back the curtain of human experience so that we may see the spiritual reality behind it all. The narrator shows us the mind of God so that we would see that God is angry, his wrath is real, and it is a certain reality for us all. You see, there is no greater need for us to wrestle with than the wrath of God. People will talk about petrol prices and interest rates and climate change and war in Russia, but the greatest need of humanity is to deal with the wrath of God. And friends, when your eyes are opened by the word of God to the reality of his wrath, all these other things pale into insignificance. Friends, there is no greater problem in your life than the coming wrath of God. It's a sure and certain reality. But in this final chapter, we see that David tries two attempts to deal with the wrath of God, and only one of them works. The first one feels very, very strange. David takes a census. Now, that is to say God is not angry at David because he takes the census. Rather, um, God is angry and this reality incites him in verse 1 to count his armies. Um, And after Joab kind of uh, uh, rejects this idea, then agrees to it, he kind of goes on this big round, the kind of uh, round Israel road trip that goes for almost a year counting up all of David's armies. And rather than be rejoicing at the strength of his armies, David is troubled. Have a look at verse 10. David's conscience troubled him after he'd taken the census of the troops. He said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. Uh, We read in Exodus and the book of Numbers that God instructs his people to do censors. So counting the armies is actually not the problem here. What is wrong? Uh, Well, other translations, when Joab is asked to take the census of the army, Joab protests and he says, why does the king delight in this thing? So I take it that in view of God's wrath, David delights in the size of his army because he's finding strength and security and hope in these men. He's put his confidence in the strength of men rather than the strength of the Lord. And in this moment, David's eyes are awakened to the fact that in view of God's wrath, there is nothing he can do because he is a sinner just like the rest of Israel. I mean, he tries to bargain with God we see that in verse, uh, in verse 10. He says, please take away your servant's guilt. But it cannot be done through bargaining. You see, while the sin is very different between God's people and David and has very different consequences, here the king and the country are on the same playing field. Or as Romans 3.23 puts it, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So make no mistake, in 2 Samuel 24, David and all of Israel are deserving of God's wrath. So verse 13, the word of the Lord comes to Gad the prophet. 
and he brings David a message of judgment. And he does so in a bizarre way. Did you notice that? He gives him options, a menu. It's, it's quite weird. It's either three years of famine, three years of fleeing, or three days of plague in the land. And there are so many unanswered questions that we have here. I mean, why are there so many choices? Why does God give David a choice? And why are there three options of three in descending orders? Frustratingly, there is no answer to these questions. Again, the narrator doesn't want us to focus on the process here, but rather what God is doing. So what does David choose? What does God do? Verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and from that morning until the appointed time, and from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men died. The Bible is clear that judgment is devastating. 70,000 people lose their life. The only thing that can save David and his people from the shocking wrath of God is the astonishing mercy of God. Uh, And before we look at the mercy of God, the astonishing mercy of God, let's just finally consider the wrath of God. Because this is confronting. It's hard. It's at a scale that makes us uncomfortable. But it's good for us as God's people to gather together to read his word and to wrestle with it this morning. You see, we're tempted to think Uh, that the God I believe in would never do a thing like that. Friends, could it be that we think that way or say those things, not because we have a high view of God, but because we have a low view of sin? Um, Just last week, I got this reminder in the mail that my eyes need to be tested for a new set of glasses. I want you to think about culture like a pair of glasses. You see, we live in a world that teaches us to read the Bible through the lens of our culture. And our individualistic culture fosters in our hearts this sense of self-sufficiency. It tempts us to make our own preferences, determine what's right and wrong. We're tempted into thinking that by nature, humans are innocent and it's only a few rotten apples that spoil the bunch. We grow a reluctance to acknowledge sin in our own life and others. It leads us to a low view of sin and thinking that these people are innocent. But rather than read the Bible through the lens of our culture, we need to read our culture through the lens of the Bible. It doesn't take the shock of reading about judgment of God away but it helps us to see that the wrath and judgment of God doesn't make God unfair. Rather, it shows us that God is a holy and just God who is righteous and good. It reminds us that God has a plan to bring an end to evil and the suffering of this world. And it also shows us that God's plan to rescue us from his wrath is achieved through his astonishing mercy, which is our next point. See, sometimes we use mercy and grace interchangeably, but there's a subtle difference. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve, but mercy 
is not receiving or withdrawing something we actually deserve. And so God's plan is to show us mercy from his wrath. Have a look at verse 17. When David saw the angels striking the people, he said to the Lord, Look, I'm the one who has sinned. I'm the one who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's family. David offers to lay down his life for his people. And while this is a beautiful anticipation of the future, what happens next might shock you. God doesn't accept his request. God doesn't accept his request because no mere human is adequate to deal with sin and the wrath of God. The Bible is clear that the mercy of God can't be earned, it can't be bargained with, and it cannot be bought. In fact, the only one who can turn the wrath of God aside is God himself. Only God has the capacity to both deal with sin justly and show mercy lovingly at the same time. So once again, the word of the Lord comes to David. But this time, it's a word of hope. Have a look at verse 18. Gad came to David and that, uh, that day and said to him, Go and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. David went up in obedience to Gad's command, just as the Lord had commanded. You see, in verse 14, David entrusts himself to the Lord who shows mercy. In verse 16, God shows mercy and relents, even before David asks. And here in verse 18, it's the word of the Lord that brings mercy and hope because God is the only one who can give sinful people mercy. And that's exactly what we see next. Have a look at verse 24. The king answered Aronah, No, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 20 ounces of silver. He built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord was receptive to prayer for the land and the plague on Israel ended. Three things quickly to notice. First is the place, the threshing floor of Arunah. Uh, the threshing floor is a large disc paved with stone. It's used in wheat production to separate the wheat from the chaff. But this is no ordinary threshing floor. You see, in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1, we read this. Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Aronah the Jebusite, the place provided by David. So you remember chapter 7, when David wanted to build a temple for the Lord and, and God said to David, no, this is for your son? Well, this place is significant because this is the place where Solomon's temple will be built. God shows mercy to David because he shows him the place where this sacrifice will be done. Second, the cost of the sacrifice. Uh, Did you notice the exchange when when we read the Bible, the exchange between David and Aronah is quite comical. You know, 
it goes back and forth like two Christians trying to pay for each other's lunch. It's like, who's going to pay? No, I want to pay. No, 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 I insist. It will be for free. No, 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 I cannot accept your gift. Please, let me. It's, it's ridiculous, my goodness. Uh, but it would be inappropriate for David to offer sacrifices that cost him nothing. And so he insists. Uh, it would be as if he was to shed blood without any cause if he did not pay for it. So David offers sacrifices as outlined in Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 3. The burnt offering was to atone for human sin, so sins could be forgiven. And the peace offering was a celebration, a celebration that people had peace with God. And it's not just because they had a good butcher or they like smoked meats. It's because for God to deal with sin justly, blood must be shed. You see, God would be an unjust God if he turned a blind eye to sin and didn't deal with it. And so his way of dealing with sin, the Bible teaches us, is for blood to be shed so that sins can be forgiven. And so the third thing we see is that sins are forgiven and David receives mercy. The sacrifice was received by God. You know, verse 16, God restrains his wrath. Verse 18, God provides a way for his wrath to be satisfied. And verse 25, his wrath is put aside and David and the rest of Israel is forgiven. And so David does a beautiful thing. He places himself in the hands of a holy and merciful God and God's wrath is held back. You see, God's mercy cannot be earned, it cannot be bargained for, and it cannot be won. It can only come through the work of God. Only God can deal with sin and his wrath, and he does so through his mercy. Uh, this week I've been um, having a song go back and forth in my head called uh, His Mercy Is More. It's written by a guy called Matt Papa. Uh, sometimes we sing in at church. This is what the chorus says. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. His sins, our sins, they are many. But his mercy is more. You see, if God didn't want to show mercy, if he didn't want to save his people, he wouldn't have sent David his word. But the God of the Bible, friends, the God that we believe in, the God that we love and serve shows us his mercy. He lavishes it upon us and he withholds his hand of judgment so that we can find a way out to be rescued. Friends, this is what our God is like. God's wrath is poured out on his sacrifice so that we may be given mercy through the sacrifice. And so this ends the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, <clears throat> like a good James Bond film, it's really brought back into focus what we need to remember as we finish the book of 2 Samuel. That only God can deal with sin and his wrath. But there's also something that we need. You see, remember the journey we've been on this book? We've been searching for a king who can rule God's people in justice. We've been searching for a king who can bring the Israel back to God in mercy. 
And what is clear in 2 Samuel is that David falls short of doing that perfectly. David falls short time and time again, and it just causes this cycle, a cycle of needing a needing king, a king needing to um, to have his mercy, sin, and this cycle around and around. <clears throat> we need a bigger and better king who can fully and finally deal with sin and the wrath of God. So the question is, who? David has been a shepherd of God's people, but a better shepherd is needed. David has been a servant of God's people, but a better servant is needed. David has been the king of God's people, but we need an eternal king who brings an end to sin and his wrath so that we can receive God's mercy and live in his kingdom forever. And the Bible tells us that that better shepherd, that better servant, that eternal king, his name is Jesus. We see a thousand years later, just a short distance from the threshing floor of Aranah, the perfect and complete sacrifice for sins for the whole world occurred when Jesus died on the cross. On the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on his son Jesus. And as he received the punishment for sin, his death was a payment so that all who believe in Jesus and repent of their sin can be freely forgiven and receive God's mercy so that they are forgiven by God and live in his kingdom under his rule. This is how Romans 1.8 puts it. Therefore, <clears throat> there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you are someone who is still investigating, if you can trust in Jesus, we're so glad that you're here and hear the word of God this morning, that God's wrath is a certain reality and the mercy of God cannot be earned or bargained for or won. It's entirely the work of God. So will you entrust yourselves, as verse 14 says, into the Lord's hands because he Show because his mercies are great. God has fully and finally dealt with sin and his wrath in his son Jesus. And for those who trust in him, there is no guilt or shame or condemnation because all are ours in Jesus Christ. For those of us who already trust in the mercy of God, we need to be careful that the fear of God doesn't motivate us as we follow him. This is what J.I. Packer says. Um, should you be afraid of God's judgment? If I'm in Christ, I need not fear God's judgment. For my judge is my saviour, Jesus Christ, who loves me, died for my sins and intercedes for me. You see, for those who have already put their trust in Jesus, we shouldn't be motivated by a fear of the judgment of God because our judgment, of, our judgment has already happened on the cross. Rather, we should be motivated by his mercy. Our attitude should be that of to love Jesus our saviour because he has freely forgiven us of our sin and given us this new life. It's a new hope and a great love that we can have for him and others. So let's conclude. Sam, 2 Samuel 24, this is it. 
maybe we should have printed up t-shirts because you all made it through the end of the book. God's wrath is a certain reality. So friends, can I ask you, where do you need to make sure that you're using God's word to read the culture of this world so that you may see that he's a just and good God? Where do you need to entrust yourselves into the hands of a merciful God so that he can forgive you? Where do you need to be motivated by his mercy and not fear of his judgment so you can live the life of freedom he has, res- he has in store for you? Let me pray that God would help us to do this. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that while David could not be the perfect king that we need, you provided us your son Jesus. And so thank you for your son Jesus, through whom you have fully and finally dealt with sin and your wrath. Help us to put our hand, entrust ourselves into your hands and your mercies. Help us to not live in the fear of your judgment, but in the glory of your love truth and forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.